Okay, um, again, I'm Mark Stevenson, and, uh, well, I feel like I'm back in class again. Did you do your homework? Um, my wife is down here in the front bouquet. She looks a little bit different from me, and we have three children. Two of them are in the States in university, and um, our daughter is somewhere around here. She's almost 15 and goes to HIS, ACI. Um, anyways, we've been here at Capitol for a number of years um, I've been in China since the Ming Dynasty, so if I look old, it's because I've been here for a while. But I think what a privilege it is to be here today. And Ralph finished a series, I think it was last week or the week before, talking about why are you here? Why are you alive? Why are you here in church? And I would like to follow up on that a little bit. Um, are you saved? Now, some of you will shake your head, yes. Others feel a little bit uncomfortable, and then others will say, well, what do you mean by that? For about the last year or so, I've been thinking, as Christians, we use these words like salvation and saved and things like that. What does it really mean? What does it mean to be saved? Let me ask you, according to what you understand of being saved, how many of you would say you've been saved for at least five years? Wow, Okay. How many of you would say you've been saved for under one year? Oh, okay. Well, at least we got a couple people there. Um, And how many of... Whoa, what happened? Um, (laughs) How many of you would say that you can remember the exact time when you got saved? Like there was... It was a yeshua ku. It was one moment in time. How many of you raise your hands? And then how many of you would say you've just always kind of followed God, you were raised in a Christian family, and there wasn't one, um, one point in time per se. Anybody? Okay. <laughs> Those people are kind of like this. You can raise your hand a little bit higher. I would ask how many of you are not sure, but I, I, again, I don't want to embarrass anybody or whatever. But I've been really thinking about it. I think most of you know um, my wife and I and James and Joanne, we've gone to Africa the last few years in June, And one of the main purposes is to see people get saved. And so I I really think, what what does that mean? What what are we talking about? Let me just tell you quickly a little bit about myself. And so in case you're wondering, who is this guy anyways? um, I was raised in a Catholic church. I was the fourth child of six Catholic family. And so um, I'm from the United States in Minnesota. And heard a lot about God growing up. But he always seemed like he was distant, and he was pretty, pretty disappointed with me. Um, no matter what I did, just wasn't good enough, um, and it was always more. And so I believed that there was a God, but I felt like he was probably up there going like this. Ah, how long is it going to take? When is he going to get better? When is he going to grow? How long is he going to keep doing this or making that mistake? And so for me, when I thought about God, it wasn't a loving God. It was more of kind of a a God who was maybe tired or something like that. And then when I was 15, I started thinking about my future. I, I always thought that I would be involved in film and television. I never thought that I would end up here in this country. Um, and I'm one of those 180s and that's a whole nother story. But I started thinking, what is really true? Because I thought, I need to find out early enough what's true because I don't want to 
get to be 50 years old and realize I'd actually been following the wrong thing and that I was going the wrong way. And so I thought, I need to find out what's true. So I kind of went on a quest. I was ready to dump God if, if that wasn't true. Then I could sleep in on Sunday mornings. Um, and I was ready to follow whatever I would find. So for about a year, I had a teacher who was a philosophy teacher, and he gave me a lot of Western philosophy works. And some of it was really good, and I was amazed at how much everybody agreed something's wrong with man. Something's wrong with mankind. Something's wrong with relationships. Something's wrong with our inability to be good. We can make good technology. We can upgrade and make that better, but we can't seem to become better people. There's no less hatred now than there was 100 years ago. There's no less jealousy now than there was 100 years ago, maybe even more. But I thought all of the solutions I looked at weren't really satisfying. Everybody knew something was wrong, but nothing was really satisfying. And so there was a, a classmate of mine, um, a girl named Sue, who was a Christian. She used to go to a Bible study and everything like that. And she met with me once every week just to answer questions. And I was amazed because sometimes she would say, I don't know. When I say, what about this? She'd say, I'm not sure. And I thought, wait, aren't you supposed to be perfect? Aren't you supposed to have all the answers and know everything? And she'd say, I'm still learning too. I thought, wow, that's, that's quite amazing. Anyways, after a period of time, after about a year, I went to a Bible study, and I'll never forget they were, going in, they were in James, and they talked about God like he was right next to them. And I thought, whoa, this is really different than what I was raised in. It was really different than what I'd known. And it made me very curious. And about a half a year later, then I finally made a commitment to follow God. Now, for me... I, um, my hair used to be as long as Doug's. It was about down to here, and I was in a heavy metal rock band when I was in high school. I'm not going to sing any songs for you, believe me. And during that time, I knew if I was going to follow God, there were things I was going to have to give up. There were things I was going to have to let go. So I really thought about this for a long time. And I had, at that time, I had like 300 albums. I don't know if you remember those at all. And I knew that they would have to go. But... I was hoping that I could just keep putting this decision off a little bit more. So I knew it was very serious. I knew that it would cost me something. I also knew that I was getting something as well. And so finally, one night, I, I laid in bed and I said, God, I think you're there and I really want to give my life to you. And I waited because I thought there would be, you know, big lightning or thunder. Or, honestly, I thought I'd hear some huge noise and there was nothing. Nothing really changed, but I slowly began to change. My father said months later, he said, you know, every time I asked you to do something, you would always complain and, you know, we'd get in an argument. But he said, I noticed all of a sudden you just said, okay, I'll do it. And you didn't argue. He said, I thought, man, he must have found a new girlfriend and that was it. <laughs> um, but I did find something new. And actually it wasn't me that found something. It was God that found me. But a lot of times, so that's, that's my background, that's where I'm coming from. A lot of times we don't really know, okay, what is salvation? Because a lot of times the way that it's presented to us is a bit unclear. Um, sometimes we only tell people enough to get them in the door. You know, just believe God, and you'll go to heaven. You'll get all these other good things, it'll be great. So just believe. Um, and once they get in, then we say, oh, by the way, you have to give up everything. 
And it's like, whoa, that's a little bit kind of a bit bait and, what is that, bait and switch kind of a thing. Um, sometimes we think the gospel is only for the unsaved. It's kind, of like, um, it's kind of like taking driving instructions to learn how to drive a car. You know, after you've driven for a few years, you don't say, oh, I've got to go back and take those classes. Because they only help you pass the driving test. They only help you learn how to drive. And so once you've passed, you just move on. Um, And sometimes it can seem like heaven is this huge marketing department that just wants to get you to say yes. Just say yes. And then once you say yes, you spend the rest of your life calling support and asking questions and looking for help. Sometimes it's like a college graduation. You study, you really study, you ask questions. But then when you get that diploma, you kind of go on and do your own thing using what you've learned. But you go your own way. Other times it's like an election, and with your power to vote, with your power to say yes, you vote. And once you vote, you're kind of surprised when the person that you voted for says, okay, now that you've voted me in the office, you have to do everything I ask you to do. And it's like, what? That's not what I voted for. That's not what I signed up for. Sometimes we only know certain scriptures, scriptures that are good, but they're little pieces, and we don't understand the whole story. Why is this book Leviticus in there? Why are all these things in Genesis? And what are all these funny things that happen in Revelation? So we, just, we pick our favorite parts and we kind of put together what we think God is like because we don't know the whole story. Oftentimes, we just don't know what we're getting into. And we don't even know what's happened to us. We just know that we're going to heaven. And that's usually the one thing everybody is still sure about and they know that God hears our prayers. Now, when we, we have baptisms... We usually ask, to pe- ask people two questions before they get baptized. Do you know what those are? We don't ask them, did you give money to church today? If you didn't, you can't go in the water. Um, what, do we, what do we ask people? What are the two things? You probably have seen this over and over. There's usually two questions people will ask before they're baptized. Okay. Why do you want to get baptized? And do you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Okay, good. That's a couple there. There's one more that people will often say. Anybody else? Um, Have you asked Jesus into your heart? So these two questions, you know, have you accepted him as your personal Savior? And have you asked Jesus into your heart? What does that mean? Personally, and I'm not trying to rip on anybody or whatever, I answered those same questions when I became a Christian and when I was baptized. But what does that really mean? To me personally, I think that language is really outdated. You know, when you ask, have you accepted as a personal Savior? First of all, what is a Savior? Second, what do you mean a personal Savior versus what? Corporate Savior or a government Savior? Or what does that really mean? We don't use that word very much. So people kind of say yes but not really knowing what am I really saying. And then, have you asked Jesus into your heart? Um, What does that mean? Have you asked him into your heart? Well, I thought about it, looked at all the evidence, and I thought, yeah, he's not too bad. Okay, yep, come on in, you know. And it gets to be kind of not so much different from your Facebook preferences. Do you want this? Do you want that? Or if you're on Taobao, if you're on Amazon, what are your preferences? What do you look for? And, and in today's world, these two questions lose their meaning simply because we have so many choices. And this just seems like a, a what? A personal what? Sure, whatever. Is that the same as a personal web page? Is that a, what is that? Sure, why not? 
And because of that, then we miss it. Um, Rick Lehman says, if he could change the language, he would say this. Has the Holy Spirit broken into your life and changed the things that really matter to you? Whoa. That's a little bit different than just asking Jesus to kind of come in as your personal buddy or whatever. Instead, has he changed the things that really matter to you? Um, a lot of businesses would love to see that. Have, have we been able to change the things that matter to you so that you buy more, so that you give up more? I think it means giving up more than you ever thought possible and getting so much more than you ever could imagine. Now, what do I mean by that? Um, you give up more than you thought possible because we all have in our minds a limit to what we can do, what we can give. And how many times have you said, God, I can't do that one more time. I can't do another move across the world. I can't do this anymore. I can't do another promotion because I don't have any more strength. I can't do this. I can't. And God says, I know. And then he takes it away. (laughs) Or then he asks you to do more. And it's like, what did I just say to you? I can't. And he says, I know. But on the flip side of that, you get so much more than you can ever imagine. And a lot of times we settle for gospel 1.5, gospel light. And we only get a little bit of what God has for us. We only understand just enough to get by. Enough so that I don't, you know, drive my car into the back of this bus because I'm so angry. Enough that I don't yell at my boss because I just can't handle it anymore. At least I got through. I survived. But God says, I have so much more for you. So much more for you. So, first of all, I want to talk about what are we saved from. If we talk about a savior, what does that really mean? What are you, what are you saved from? And when I was little, I thought, okay, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, which is true, but I imagined him being on the cross thinking, yes, I remember when Mark stole that candy, when Mark lied, I'm dying for the time that Mark did this, and Mark, and it was kind of like a record book. He went through all of my sins and just one by one checked them off, and that was it, and now I'm okay, and now I'm all right. But actually, what Jesus did is he didn't just die for sins. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He died for sin. And that's oftentimes what we miss. That's oftentimes what we don't understand. A a favorite author of mine um, is a pastor in New York City, Timothy Keller. And he wrote this. He said, we are alienated from God, from our true selves, from one another, and even from the created world, from the environment. Because we're alienated from God, We are alienated within ourselves. We have problems with fear, with shame. Because we're alienated from God, we are also socially alienated from one another. Think of the jealousies. Think of the competition. Think of the lies you do just to work out relationships. Because we're alienated from God, we're also also physically alienated from nature itself. So we experience sorrow, painful toil, physical degeneration. I mean, look at me. Hey, white hair. And death. Since the garden with Adam and Eve and the decisions that they made, the choices that they made, we live in a world filled with suffering, disease, poverty, racism, natural disasters, war, aging, and death. And it all stems from the wrath and curse of God on the world. The world is out of joint, and we need to be rescued. A lot of times we'll say, well, I don't really need to be rescued. I just need a new job. 
I just need a promotion. I just need another car. I just need something easier. I just need some time by myself. Or we blame it on other people. Well, if I had a better wife, a better husband, a better child, a better whatever, whatever, whatever. But the root of our problem is not the horizontal relationships, though they are often the most obvious because you live and you see the results of sin. But it's our vertical relationship with God. All human problems are ultimately symptoms, and our separation from God is the cause. Now, this isn't talking about getting my record clean so that I can, you know, that the, the, the thing that I stole when I was in sixth grade or whatever, or even the thing that I did this morning gets wiped away. This is talking about an endemic disease that is, it's not just something over here. It's not like once you get your house paid off, oh, I'm so glad that's done. Once you become a Christian or get sin taken care of, oh, I'm so glad. No, this is right at the heart. This is right at the core of all your problems. You say, well, that's a bit much. Really? Think it through. Think it through of the struggles that you have with other people, the struggles that you have with yourself. All of those come from a core of sin. Now, Jesus died for sin. He died for everything that comes between God and us. And God does say that he brings solutions to poverty, solutions to jealousy, solutions to this and that. But the most important thing is our relationship with God. So if someone is not a believer, it's not you believe this and I believe this and there's different options. They're missing the whole core of what is separating them from a reality that can be much better than the reality that they have. It's interesting when you think about it, you realize God forgives our sins, but God did not pardon sin. Do you understand what I mean? He didn't say, you know what? These guys' sins are just too much. Oh man, forget it. I'll just wipe it all away and just, oh, I'm just tired of dealing with it. He didn't pardon sin. He punished sin. And he punished it in the form of Jesus. Now, we think of Jesus hanging on a cross. And if you watch the Passion or if you, see, you think about you know, what really happened before Easter, it makes everybody feel bad. But you know, honestly, a lot of people and probably even some of Jesus' followers have had a much more violent death than that. You can just watch The Walking Dead or something like that and you'll see what that means. People have gone through very, very terrible things. People have been martyred for for crimes worse or in, in ways worse than hanging on a cross. But no one, no one has had the sin, the curse of sin laid on them. And that is a pain that we can't even imagine. That is a separation. That is a loneliness. That is as bad as you could possibly get on this earth. And that, that's what Jesus did for us. So, Some of you might say, well, I'm really not that bad. And you're probably right. You really aren't that bad. But you may have heard this example. If the passing grade for a test is 60 and you get, I don't know, 52 and I get 22, hey, we still fail. We still need help no matter what. And maybe you say, well, I haven't killed anyone, but God is perfect. His law is perfect, and we all fall short of that. So what are you saved to? You get saved from that. What are you saved to? First of all, you're saved to the family of God. You're saved to God himself. You're saved to a future and a hope. You're saved to a journey of growing more and more like Christ. Now, does all this sound really good so far? And you're saved to an unpredictable life. 
Now, that's not something, especially all of us in our day planners, in, in our schedules, in our tight work schedules and things that need to get done, we don't like that part. But if you go through the Bible, how many times were people surprised by God? They were farming. They were fishing. They were walking out. They were hiding in a cave. And it, it wasn't in the script. It wasn't in their plan. Okay, one day I'm going to go back to Egypt. It wasn't the way that it would go. And yet God is it's so typical that he surprises, he takes away things, and then he adds other things that we never imagined. I never, ever thought when I was 15, and I said yes to God when I was 17, I never, ever thought that I would be in China. I never, ever thought that I would be here. And that's not to say that I'm cool and, wow, look what I did. That's to say God is incredible, amazing, really, really amazing. So you are what God uses in this world. So what you're saved to, it's, it's, it's really like a wedding. It's really like a marriage. You know, when you stop and think about it, usually when we tell people about the gospel, we tell people, you know, about getting saved, we're trying to get to them intellectually to make a decision, to make a decision. And yet, when you think about marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, it's not just something where you work at the intellect, you work at the emotions as well, Right? You don't want a husband that says, yeah, I love her. I do. And, and the emotions aren't checked at all. The emotions are never brought into play. It's just a mental, I agree. She's my wife. Yep, let's get it out. Okay, I got about 10 minutes to get married. And we talk about commitment. We talk about being vulnerable. We talk about being open. Can you imagine... If at a baptism we use the same language or similar language that you use in the marriage vows at a wedding, do you agree to follow Jesus in good times and in bad times and in sickness and in health? It's like, whoa, whoa, hey, wait, wait, that's that's just for marriage. That's not for God. But actually, this is what God calls us to. This is what you're saved to. You know, this is... It's very serious, isn't it? It really is. I mean, when you got married, um, those of you who are married, I doubt if you were up there going, oh, I can't wait to drink the champagne. All right, are we almost done? It was a very sobering, serious, but wonderful event. And following God is the same thing. It's very serious. God takes this seriously, and he wants us to take it seriously too. You know, it's funny because God treats us, he treats us like he owns us. He treats us like we're his. So when he asks us to do things, it's because I said at one point, I gave him the access to do that. I gave him the right. I said, I give myself to you. And that is only because of the grace of God as well. So um, what do you give up? Jerry Bridges is another um, author. He says, faith is renunciation and reliance. Faith is renunciation and reliance. What do I mean by that? Okay, it means you renounce. You say no. You give up. You, you get rid of. Like I said, the reason it took me so long when I was thinking about becoming a Christian is I knew I would have to give up all of those records. I knew there were things that I would have to let go of. I knew there were things that I was doing that were wrong. And I, was, I had to really think that through and take that seriously because I knew that that would be required. So faith means giving up. And it also means relying. So you give up something and you rely on something else. So renounce 
and rely. It's about the simplest way. So what do you give up? And again, this is not exhaustive, but just to give you some ideas. The first thing you give up is your idols. And you say, well, I don't have an idol. All of us have idols. Um, And because we're created to worship something, um, we end up either worshiping ourselves or we end up worshiping our money, or we end up worshiping whatever. It doesn't have to be a lot, or it doesn't have to be little. It's more of what's going on in our hearts. Again, here's what Tim Keller says about this. Anything we look to more than we look to Christ for our sense of acceptability, joy, significance, hope, and security is by definition our God. Something we adore, something we serve, something we're willing to give up for, something we rely on with our whole life and our heart. In general, idols can be good things. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It can be good things. Family, achievement, work, career, romance, talent, etc. Even good ministry that we turn into ultimate things to give us the significance and the joy that we need. Then they drive us into the ground because we must have them. A sure sign of the presence of idolatry in your life is inordinate anxiety, anger, or discouragement when our idols are taken away. So if we lose a good thing, it makes us sad. But if we lose an idol, it devastates us. Now, when I read this, I had to read it over and over and over again. And I thought, wow, then God, how do I make you my idol in a sense? How do I make you my God? How do I make you in the rightful place that you should be? A lot of times, um, you know, like like he said, an idol can be something good, um, but it could end up being an idol. I always think, too, you know, God says he will meet our needs, and he'll answer our prayers. And And that's fine, and that's fine to expect that of God. But I run into trouble when I say, God, you have to answer my prayer this way. You have to answer my prayer that way. It has to be this. God, I really want this. I really want that. And God says, I know what you need, and I know how to fulfill your needs. But we say, God, it has to be that. If it has to be that thing, that person, that whatever, that position, then it becomes an idol. Let God be God and let him answer in however he wants to answer. I don't know about you, but for me, that's a bit of the scary part, especially when I don't see any answers out on the horizon. Then I start looking and thinking, okay, that must be it. And God says, no, that's not even close. And then we have to wait. The other thing, you you give up your idols, but you stop saving yourself. Um, A lot of times we think that we need God to get into the kingdom of God. We need God to get saved. But once we're in, it's kind of like, okay, I think I got it now, God. You know, if I have some further problems, I'll get back to you. But if you live by faith, you're living by faith day and day, day in and day out, whether you feel good or whether you feel bad. Faith doesn't depend, living by faith doesn't depend on how you feel that day. If it did, boy, my life would be really horrible. Um, and a lot of times, if you can't forgive yourself, it means God is not really your God, but your own sense of achievement, your standard, your moral standard, that gets to be God. A lot of times, we know God will forgive us, but we think he won't forgive that because we've placed that standard above God. A lot of times, we end up working to get God's approval, but we'll never be enough. 
It'll never be good enough. And, and that's the scary part, but it's the wonderful part as well. Sometimes we'll say, I obey, and because I obey God, then I'm accepted. Because I did good things, because I did the right thing, I had my quiet time today, I read the word, I felt good in the worship, I, I'm being nice to my neighbors, um, I didn't yell at that other person, then I'm accepted. But the reality is, I am accepted. I'm accepted by God right where I'm at, and that's why I obey. Totally different. Totally different. So what do you get? You get more than you could ever imagine. And that's what's really wonderful about following God. That's what it means in a really wonderful way to get saved. Everyone knows you get an inheritance, okay? Um, And there's lots of scripture in the Bible about we we get eternal life with God. Um, Peter, in 1 Peter 1, 4, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you're receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, the salvation of your soul doesn't just mean, wow, it's okay, I got a ticket, I can get into heaven and kick back and just relax. Your salvation, the highest reward that you get in your salvation is you meet God face to face. You won't need faith anymore. Have you ever thought about that? Your faith is only good right now because we can't see God. When we get to heaven, you won't need faith because we'll see him face to face. And because of that, um, well, and then God sets you free. Uh, You're justified. And everyone, you kind of know this, but what it means is that you're You're free to be who God has meant you to be. You're free to be who God has created you to be. And and there's a whole lot of things I could say about that. But it means God wants to lead you in a way of freedom. God wants to lead you in a place of victory. Paul said, he called himself several times, he said, I'm an ambassador for Christ, I'm an apostle. But then in a couple of his letters, he says, I'm a slave of God. And he thought that was a good thing. There's nobody here, and I'm sorry, if I was your slave, I, I don't think I'd, I'd say that's a pretty good thing. But if he loves God so much, and more, if you think, what does that say about God, that even someone who says, I'm a slave of God, says that with joy, says that with pride. I mean, that's interesting. You know, part of it, we say God is our king, but what does that really mean? Gary Sun is sitting out there, and I don't mean to embarrass you, Gary. Gary works at Microsoft. And to probably some people, he's a boss, and that's how they treat him. They'll treat him as a boss. Gary's my friend. He's my brother, and so I will treat him as my friend and my brother because that's what he is. What does it mean to follow a king? What is it? The Brits probably have an idea of this better than we do, or the Danes or anyone else who has some kind of kingship, monarchy. But I come from the most independent the most individualistic country in the whole earth. And for us to think of following a king is like the last thing that we would ever want to do. But God says to us when we follow him, he says, okay, now do everything I tell you to do. Do you understand? That's the standard. It's not if you have time, if you feel good, if you think about it, do whatever I say. And the reason God can say that is because he's perfect, his wisdom is supreme, And everything he says is right. And so everything he tells us to do is good. 
So, you get justified, you're included in the fellowship of believers, but you get God. You get God. You get God. That, more than anything else, is the most wonderful thing about being saved. It's not just principles. Principles are good, but I I don't want to just live for principles. It's a relationship. The two commandments we're giving is to love God with all your heart, your soul, and our might. Not to follow principles as clearly and as discipline, you know, full of discipline as you can. It's a relationship. And so when you get saved, you have access to, you are in a relationship with the God of the universe. I mean, that is incredible. And oftentimes we forget that. Oftentimes we don't know that because we don't know how to be in a relationship with someone who we can't see. We don't know how to be in a, a healthy relationship with God because we are, we're hurt, we have woundings, and a lot of other reasons. But actually what happens is that you empty yourself and God fills you. God is with you. God is a covenant God and he takes his, his side of the covenant very, very seriously. So when you get saved, when you start to follow God, one question you will have is, can he really do this? Can he really do that? Can he really speak to me? Can I really hear him? Can he really touch people? Can he really work? And a lot of times those questions scare us. Don't let them scare you. Go on the journey. Let God speak to you. Let yourself hear wrong. When I, the first year of college that I had, I was at the University of St. Thomas, a Catholic school. My mom always wanted me to go to a Catholic school the first year of college, so I did. But at that time, I'd been a Christian for about a year, and I wondered, maybe God was calling me to be a priest. So I can remember sitting in my parking lot um, at, at school, and I said, God, I, I don't know, I, I like women. I, I, I would rather be married than not be married. But if you wanted me to be a priest, I'll, I'll do it. And, and for about a day, I thought, maybe God's calling me to be a Catholic priest. And the next day, I told one of my friends, who was much wiser than me and much farther along in the road, and I said, I think God's maybe calling me to be a priest. And he started laughing and laughing his head off. And he said, look in the mirror. I said, why? He said, I, I, I think you heard wrong. You know, I, I can't imagine you. And praise God that I didn't do that. <laughs> but that was, that was just a mistake I heard wrong. It didn't devastate me. And there's enough guardrails that God put in my life so that I'm not a Catholic priest, but instead I'm married with three wonderful kids. Be willing to take some of that. Ask God, what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to follow him? It's always God is very concerned about our growth, and he's always concerned about moving us on to the next place. Oftentimes, it's a place that we think we just can't go. We just can't handle, and God says, no, go there. Real recently, I... Well, this is last week. I, um, I thought I lost my wallet. And I looked for it, and I looked for it, and I was in between classes. I had a 10-minute break. And so it wasn't like I could get on my knees and pray. It wasn't like I could fast for a long time. It wasn't like I didn't have a whole lot of time. And I had several things I needed to do in the break. So I was running down the hallway, and the first thing when I, re- I looked in my bag, and I realized it's gone. I looked in my jacket, it's gone. 
And my first reaction was, wow, you've lost something else again. What is wrong with you? And then I said, okay, God, I I don't want to go the usual route of being really nervous, blaming everybody else, and just kind of just going way off the handle. And I said, then show me what is it like to walk with you right now in the middle of this when I don't know where this thing is. And it was like, God, you've got to help me. And then I had a class. It wasn't like I could mope about it. It wasn't that I could think about it for a long time. I had to move on. So it was like, God, okay, all right, okay. And I I said, but I know who you are. I don't know where my wallet is, but I know who you are. And I know that you're good. So I'm wondering, you know, okay, it's three in the afternoon. Should I call up the credit card company? Should I do this? Should I do that? I've got this class. That can all be on hold. So I had to say, all of my solutions, God, I give to you because I can't do them right now. So I was like, okay, that's in your hands. I'll leave it. And then in the middle of the class, all of a sudden I remembered where it was. So it was kind of funny. I'm teaching. I suddenly went, hey, I know where my wallet is. And it's like, the students all looked at me like, well, Todd's, I'm alive. You know, they were just wondering what is wrong with him. And my wife had bought me a new backpack and there was a, 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 a pocket in there that I didn't have in the other one. And that's where the wallet is. But what I felt good about was not so much that I found the wallet, but that I found God in the middle of this. Or that he was able to get my attention off of the problem, off of myself, and onto him. And that's where you find the real peace. Um, another thing is that really in the last couple of years, um, my wife and I, we have felt that God is leading us onto something that would be a big change for us. And we've gone back and forth with it, and some things have really pointed in that direction. Other things we've kind of wondered, and, and, and it's just been one of these things we've wrestled through and wrestled through and wrestled through. So finally, it was, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago or so or something like that. It was one night I took our dog out, and you have to understand our apartment. Um, I was behind our apartment building. There's nobody else there. And a lot of times I will just yell to God, you know, I, I will just be really honest and pour my heart out, out, out loud. And so I had said, God, we're so comfortable being here in Beijing. And I know some people don't like it, but we really love this city. And we're so comfortable with the life we have. Um, there's not a whole lot of challenges. But God, I, you know, if you want us to do this next step, then speak to us. Speak to me. If you don't, that's fine. I, I, I've told people we'll probably be doing this, but if I'm wrong, hey, that's okay. I'm, I don't mind saying that I made a mistake, that I heard wrong. But I said, God, you've got to speak. And I yelled it out as loud as I could. I said, you really have to speak, please. And that was my prayer. And then um, I left it with him. And I, thought, I didn't say, you have to speak this way. It has to be this and this. I just said, I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you have to take a brick and hit me over the head. Whatever it takes, do. So I waited, and this was on a Saturday night. The next day I came to church, and Ralph gave this message about Abraham's father. Do you remember that? Okay, do you remember one of the points he said was moving from a comfortable place into a place of where God wants you to go? And he talked about Abraham's father who never completed what he was called to do, and he ended up worshiping idols before he died. And for me, halfway through the message, I was sitting there and I had tears in my eyes and I thought, okay, yes, 
yes, I know you speak. Yes, I know. You know, I almost wanted to stop him halfway and say, okay, can we just pray right now? But the, the point that I'm trying to make is that God is a God who speaks. God is a God who works. He's not far away. He's not somewhere way over there. He's close. He's nearby. And if you ask him, if you not only talk but listen, he can speak. Even to me. I, I'm not a really good listener. But he can speak. So again, it's, it's not just principles. Although principles are really good, it's a relationship. It's a relationship following a God who has a personality, who has a character, who has a mind. Find out what that, bring, what that is. And I thought, you know, on, on our wedding anniversary, I don't celebrate the principle of being married. I don't say, wow, am I ever glad that I'm married? I don't, I don't care who I married, but man, I'm just I'm so glad I got married. No, I celebrate my wife. She would think it was really strange if I said, you know, to me it didn't matter who I got married to, but I'm just, you know, I'm glad we got married 22 years ago. She would, she would think, well, that's kind of strange. On our wedding anniversary, I celebrate her. I celebrate our relationship. Celebrate God. Celebrate who he is. And if you're not sure who he is, join the club. We're all on a journey learning who he is. But I really can't wait to that time where we can see him face to face. And we don't need faith anymore. One last quote from Tim Keller. He says, God can bring you to a place where he is so wonderful, beautiful, powerful that you can't live without him isn't that great he's so wonderful he's so powerful he's so beautiful that you can't live without him only if our highest love is god himself can we love and serve other people other families other races and only god's saving grace can bring us to the place where we are loving and serving god for himself alone because of who he is and not just for what he can give us Unless we understand the gospel, we are always obeying God just to get what we can get and not for his sake. And again, you know in a marriage that wouldn't work. If you're just doing things for your wife so that you can get something or your husband, that's not going to work. But you have to find out how wonderful is that other person to really fall in love with that person and then obey. You're filled with God. He lives inside of you if you know him. The power of the gospel comes in two movements. First it says... I am more sinful and flawed and horrible than I ever dared believe. But then it quickly follows with, I am more accepted and I'm more loved than I ever dared hope. To the church at Ephesus, Paul said, I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know God better, so that you can know him more. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So this is what salvation is. So much more than have you asked Jesus into your heart. You give away your life. What you get is so much more wonderful in return. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your good news. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for so much that you give us. And Lord, even though there's so much that we don't know, we're really thankful for what we do know, what we understand. Lord God, I, I, I pray that you would bring us into a deeper relationship with you. 
where we have real joy and real peace. Even if things get difficult and things get hard. God, help us to, to find you in that. We're so grateful, God, that you chase after us, that you go after us. And Lord, if there are people here today that have been wondering what is it like to really follow you, that have been afraid to fully give themselves to you, Lord, you're such a wonderful father. Really, such a wonderful father and wonderful friend, an incredible king. Lord, we're proud of you. We're proud of you the way you work. Proud of the way that you reign. And Jesus, I ask that you would bring those into a deeper place of knowing you, Jesus. We thank you and we ask this in your name. Amen.